Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very honored to have as my guest pianist, composer, arranger, and producer, Eddie Bullen. We'll be talking about his many musical adventures, and we'll get some insights into the Canadian music scene from someone who's been a part of it for many decades now. So uh, I guess you're considered a veteran. How are you doing? Uh, thanks for joining me today, Eddie. Oh, yes. well, thanks, thanks for having me on, my friend. I, 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 um, I don't know if I'm a veteran, but you know, you, you, you put your head down and you do as much work as possible. You know, clients come well, in and you try to make sure that they leave with a smile. Well, there you go, and you've certainly uh, put the years in. And I guess it's so funny when you uh, look back over the timelines and you think, well, so you came here from Grenada, I guess, in 1980. Yes. And then got into the Canadian music scene, I'm assuming, right away. The day after I arrived, I was at Long McQuaid buying gear. So <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. <laughs> so but that does that seem like a lifetime ago now? It does. It does. I mean, they've been they've been sort of the backbone of every musician's life. <laughs> yeah. And yes. um, mine as well. So I had some friends who introduced me to Long McQuaid and right away I was you know, buying yeah. gear. And I think the following week I was on the road with a rock band. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that's funny. I was, we were t- just in the preamble, we were talking about that and, and, uh, you're more of a jazz artist, but you've done of course, lots of different other things. And, uh, it's interesting because people find their way into the music business and, and I guess you land where, where you feel comfortable and with the music that you do, but then there's all these multiple genres around as well. So, yeah. Were you, I was going to ask if you were trained, were you trained as a jazz pianist? Did you have formal training? Yes. Yes. My, well, I'll, I'll just give you a bit of a sort of background. Um, yes, please. Yeah. My dad was a musician. And uh, so I grew up in a house of music and he had a rec, a music store. So we sold oh. um, Yamaha. We were the agent for Yamaha, Kawaii, Borsendorf, Steinway, and all those representatives used to come to the Caribbean to visit my dad because we sold so many pianos. Wow, <laughs> and, very nice. And uh, guitars and you know he was he was the agent for Fender and like we were, we had we were the agent for almost everything and wow. we sold to the islands around. We, I mean Grenada is a very small island. It's just 110,000 in the population, but wow. everybody loved music. So yeah, we course. sold a lot of a lot of pianos and um yeah, and my dad actually had a band, and he was the band was signed to Decca, so they did a lot of recordings. In they traveled to Trinidad and did a lot of recordings, Calypso nice. recordings. Actually, when I when I go into Decca's site, I still see the band names there. So, oh, nice. <laughs> and this is yeah. since 1935 that they they were signed. So, wow. um, so you know, music was in my environment. Um, I was kind of the last point of sale when my dad would sell a piano. He'd say, son, go demonstrate the piano for the, mm. for the family. So that was kind of my upbringing. And, um, subsequently I, you know, I, I had a band in Grenada as well. And I used to put on these jazz concerts. The band was called Jazz Connection. Nice. And I'd, um, rent gear and, and put on concerts with my friends, yeah. you know, so. Well, that's a great story. And, and, uh, the reason I ask is because, you know, some people have had lots of people on the podcast and some people just, you know, sort of join a band and they kind of learn as they go. And other people have formal training, which really serves them well as they get out into the world. And so it sounds like you were on that side of it. So you had some, some background, some theory and some training that, that served you well, especially in the jazz world. Yeah. Well, my dad, um, there were several, you know, both Canadians and Americans who lived in Grenada, and uh, some one lady was a composer, another one was a classical pianist, another one was a jazz pianist. So I'd go for lessons from them. Uh, um, so I had a good understanding, and and I had a friend of mine who brought a lot of records, jazz records. He lived in the states and um, sort of immigrated back to Grenada, and he had a lot of jazz records. So he, you know, allowed me to take any record I. I wanted so yeah um he had hundreds of albums so i i just dug in and just listened oh, and very listened, cool you know yeah so then, then if i may um there was some political unrest in grenada and stuff is that why you gravitated towards toronto and ended up there well not really i i kind of wanted to 
get out, I, you know, you always want to explore North America. I mean, that's the mecca of, of jazz music. So you wanted right. to explore. So, and yes, I actually witnessed actually two of, there were, there were three major unrest in Grenada and I witnessed, I was there for two of them. I, okay. you know, I, was, a, I was a kid and I was there for two of them actually. The prime minister who got killed, his office was right opposite my dad's office. So I saw him every day, which is Maurice Bishop. And I mean, he was a friend of the family's. And I had a cousin who was also, uh, also killed in that whole mm, fiasco yeah. that, that happened, hear that. you know. Yeah. But yeah, so, it, you know, it, 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 that whole period was very dear to me. And, and, you know, music was one of the backbones that sort of kept me sane through that yes. time, that turbulent time. Yeah. And then when I when I immigrated to Toronto, I um went to York University for a year and a half. So nice. that really um helped my musical my musical ability and studied with yeah. um, several, you know, professors there. Nice. Yeah. So was there some culture shock or were yeah. you okay? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> the cold. I remember my the immigration officer saying what are you? Are you mad? You coming to this country? You leaving the, the? You're you're living on the equator and you leave the country. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I want to go on the road, man. <laughs> I want to freeze. That sounds cool. <laughs> That's great. Well, it, uh, you know, I find it, it's funny because I, I was born just outside of Toronto and Guelph, but, uh, you know, we always looked at that as invigorating. At least I did. You know, I thought the cold kind of invigorates you, you know, it, it gets you going. There's no relaxing when it's minus 10 outside. <laughs> oh, no, I know, I know. It's, you know, but you know what? You just embrace it. I, I yeah. it, it really doesn't bother me. You know, you just dress warm. And, and you know, actually when I came, I remember a friend of mine came to visit me and I'm like, Man, he put on a lot of weight, and it was it was all the clothes that he had on. <laughs> he was just taking yeah. off clothes, you know, yeah. shirts, t-shirts. I was like, "Wait, like that's you know, back where I come from, that's vagrants do that." <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> was, you go, and you, yeah. you wouldn't need it, right? No. So, no. so did you have a plan? I mean, did you when you came here? Were you were you intent on being a full time musician? Is that what you decided to do, or was there some kind of defining moment where you thought, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my life in Toronto, and I'm gonna be a musician"? No, I just I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to yeah. be a musician, and there was nothing that was going to stand in the way of that. So, like my second week here, a friend of mine who's a keyboard player as well, and he's from Grenada, um, had a gig and he couldn't do it and he offered it to me. Um, so was like, I will never forget it. It's a guy by the name of Robert E. Lee. And um, I had no idea where I was going. I Actually, the gig was in Sonia. And uh, these two guys picked me up in a van. And uh, on the way up, they decided to make a set list. And then one of the songs, actually, they said, uh, let's, why don't we do cocaine? And I was like, what? I mean, I I have no idea. I had no idea that there was a song called Cocaine. Oh, there you go. Never heard the clapping <laughs> so, in there. Yeah. yeah, Culture Shock is, is, is you know. So <laughs> I was a little freaked out until they, they started explaining to me that, yeah, there's, you know, Eric Clapton has a song called Cocaine. Yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, so yeah, I started right there. And then, you know, I, and as a keyboard player, I, the word got around where I was in town. And then I started getting hired for all kinds of gigs, R&B yeah. gigs, funk gigs, you know, rock gigs, reggae. I did a lot of reggae stuff, uh, yeah. some Calypso stuff, you know, being from that part of the world, yeah, um, a lot absolutely. of Calypsonians yeah. were here. But yeah, and, and, you know, and then going to school and um, yeah. also I... I got a job in a piano store because I grew up with my, my dad, you know, repairing pianos. And of course, I, yeah. I'm a piano technician as well. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so uh, that was a, yeah. a side job. Oh, good that for I you. Got. Yeah, well, just as an aside, we, we used to do cocaine, but we had this, we had propane. So we had all the words worked out. So we just sang propane instead of cocaine. <laughs> it worked out pretty good. <laughs> so, um, but that's what I wanted to ask you about the genres because, I mean, you, you really have. Well, we all do. We all grew up with lots of different genres, but for you specifically, coming from the you, you have what you call Caribbean infused jazz tracks, but then reggae, calypso, 
adult contemporary and then all the rock pop stuff. You can't ignore that because it's everywhere. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, the, the, this, this was a backdrop to my life. I mean, jazz, contemporary jazz was one of the things that I loved. You know, it was the time of, you know, George Benson and um, Spyro Gyra, Grover Washington, you know, and those, some of those tracks were, they, they were on the pop charts, you know what I mean? Back in the yeah. day, I remember playing those, you know, some songs in clubs yeah. and people are dancing to, you know, contemporary jazz stuff. So it was, it was a, that was a big part of my life. I loved the straight ahead as well too. Oscar Peterson was one of my favorite piano players, my dad's as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I listened to all of those things and I play all of them. I mean, yeah. my, my sort of directory was uh, contemporary jazz, and that's kind of what I've done to as Eddie Bullen. But as Eddie Bullen, as a producer, I produce you know almost two hundred and fifty albums. Yes, and crazy. It's all different genres, so it's it was it's very rewarding. I guess you know in the Caribbean, the radio stations just play everything. They don't they don't discriminate. Oh, okay, you know if it's you hear a country song, then you hear an R and B song, then you hear a funk song, then you Oh, interesting! Calypso song, and so yeah. it, you know, it depends if they if you like it, yeah. and they'll play it. Well, it's interesting because even even categorizing, like I've asked lots of record company people and stuff, you know, how do you categorize the music for selling it? And and of course, jazz is is never a big seller because it's a specific, more specific audience. But then you branch out from that, like like you mentioned, George Benson. Well, we used to do Broadway. We we added it in a medley in our set and stuff because we loved it so much. It was such right. a cool cool groove. And and so, how do you even? Um, these days even define genres like there's so many if you look down the list of, of genres of music there's there's must be a hundred of them yeah yeah I, it's, yeah i mean when you look at at itunes and the list of you know genres yeah. and subgenres and subgenres of yes. subgenres, <laughs> genres, it gets pretty it gets pretty daunting but yeah, yeah and, and i guess that's what it is you know you bring something new to the to the genre you know, I mean, for for me, it was is contemporary jazz, and I can see how it has branched off into so many different subgenres of it. You know, you have acid jazz, you you have avant garde jazz, you know, and it it just goes like that. So, but do you try? Do you tend to lean towards the mainstream? I mean, the the real hardcore jazz stuff is a very small listenership, I would say. Right? Yes. Because the average person's not listening to the really intense sort of outside. My my music teacher always said you got inside, interesting, and outside. That's your yes. three. So inside is, you know, true to scale, right? And and interesting, you got some color tones in there. And then the outside is some jazz guy doing a C sharp major scale over a C chord or something. Uh, yes, You're yes. like, okay. Um so yeah. so you gotta try to drive, maybe try drive towards the middle so that more, it's palatable to more people, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, contemporary jazz is like, for example, there's a, a musician, a drummer by the name of Narada Michael Walden. And he was, he's a jazz drummer. And, but he's the guy who produced all the Whitney Houston songs that were hits and all the Mariah Carey songs. So there you go. It's like it, it, you know, those guys, they know the jazz stuff, but it'll bleed over like Quincy Jones. He's a jazz guy. Right, and he, you know, I mean, look at the <laughs> what he's done. But it's because you have that knowledge of um, you know just breaking ground and um, fusing genres. So I mean, that, and that's the school that I I came from is n- not to be in one particular lane, but to kind of have a good aspect of what it is you like and how to mash them together. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and one of the things with contemporary jazz is it made it um, easier for people to get up and dance and have fun. So right. in the Caribbean, they have they had a lot of contemporary jazz festivals. And in some of those festivals, you have, like, I remember playing the Jamaica uh, Jazz Festival, and about 18,000 people there. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you, I played the St. Kitts, and it's like, you know, 10,000 and Barbados is like, you know, 14,000 people, just a big stage and everybody's just waiting for you and having a good time. And yeah. you can see but, them really engaged. So that, yeah. that I think sort of brought jazz back, the contemporary jazz sort of brought it back to the heyday of jazz and still happening, you know, yeah. there's still oh, cool. big festivals. 
But the other thing too is reggae is always accessible. Everybody seems to love that flavor and that feel and Calypso same. Like yes. it's really easy to like. Yes, yeah. Because I mean, it's it's always a, it's a fun thing. I like reggae. It's a I, usually it's a conscious thing where you know you listen to some of the Bob Marley songs and you know it's always these conscious lyrics, lyrics that. Yeah, I remember having a meeting with Harry Belafonte and he said that uh, reggae is the world's radical song, you know, <laughs> get up, stand up for your rights. It's, yeah. it's, it's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It, it feels good. Uh, Calypso is you, you sort of just want to party all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's always feel good. You know, when, I guess, you know, it's a sunshine when you're, <laughs> Yeah. Close to the equator, it's like that sunshine makes you well. Fair enough, and and I always say, if if it's easy to like, then it's going to be accessible to more people. And I don't know anybody who doesn't appreciate, you know, some reggae and and the calypso feel is always very nice. The like the Harry Belafonte stuff is, you know, he brought yeah. that sort of flavor in, which fit great with all the. Yeah. And that was you know what? One of the things is a lot of people don't know that the first album to sell one million copies is a calypso album. Oh. <laughs> Wow. By Harry Belafonte. There That's you go. Great, right? <laughs> I remember, I, I remember um, he said that Elvis was wanted to meet him because he was bigger than Elvis. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, so oh. it, yeah. you know, it transcends trans- at one time, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then again, too, for you, you have you wear a bunch of different hats, but if you're a producer... That's a bit of a different ballgame than if you're playing and recording your own stuff, right? Because you're you're trying to interpret and and uh, produce something else, and it might be a slightly different flavor from what you would do, but you're trying to get the best product you can from that particular flavor. Yeah, that's correct. And usually, when I'm producing, I try to make sure that I am a portal that the artist, whoever, if it's an instrumentalist or if it's a vocalist, they can go through me. And I, I, tr- I'm, I try not to put my stamp on everything. You know what I mean? I, I try to make sure that it's a bit transparent. So sometimes people hear things and they go, well, that was you. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> you know, I don't know you like that. And I'm like, I know. Because yeah. I, I, I don't want to, you know, I think you date yourself if you put the stamp on everything. You know, right. everything sounds alike. Everybody sounds alike. So I have changed stuff up so that, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't, you don't hear very few people that can pick out something that it's done by me. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, uh, that's, that's great. I mean, it speaks well of you as a producer because it's a, you're wearing a different hat at that point. You're, yeah, you're just trying to right. facilitate somebody else. But I, I saw some of the videos and uh, it's really great. Uh, excellent production. And now your stuff, you've got all instrumentals. You don't sing at all. No, I don't sing at all sing. ever. I don't, well, you know what? There was one time. <laughs> there was one time back back in the eighties. I yeah. wanted to impress the girls, and I decided to sing "Flesh for Fantasy" by Billy Idol. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, funny. Uh, that was my one song, and anyway, I it was just too tough trying to okay. sing. And, yeah, so I, well, I, I just. Thought- you know, I mean, you play piano, excellent, but I thought you might might try to sing too. So I watched the uh, the video, Your Sweetness is My Weakness, and you've got a, a bass player and a drummer, I guess. So you just play and they accompany you. Is that a, a standard format that you have? Yeah, yeah. And that is, um, yes, that was my brother playing drums, I think. Okay. I have so many versions. My my uh, yeah. sons play as well too. So yes. it could be yeah. my, it could have been my son's. Well, and I see you on there. You you do a dueling pianos gig with your son, and you got one that's coming correct. up, I guess, in March, right? Yes, that's correct. Eddie yeah, and Quincy yeah. Bullen, and I, yeah, it's great. I, I it's just ripping on the on the video. It's it's excellent. Sounds really yeah. good. Your son sings. He's got a good voice. Yeah, but, yeah, he does. Music. Well, yeah, he plays everything. You know, having a studio, all the musicians that come, he'll always before they leave, he'll try to get some kind of little lessons from them. Yeah, good. Well, that's a good thing to do too, because really, I mean, it's like a playground. Just try everything, do your best at everything and see how it goes. But uh, that was neat. That must feel good to to play music with your son. Oh yeah, it is. is. I mean, I look across at him and, you know, he challenges me, you know, so he's a really amazing piano player as as well as a guitar player and a bass player and a drummer. (laughs) Yeah. He was DJing last night. Oh, well, well, you so you call it dueling pianos, but it's not really that because you guys are complimentary. I mean, it's beautiful yes. doing the Hornsby thing and stuff. It's really, really nice. I mean, it's yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to make sure that it's a bit different to the you know regular dueling pianos. 
We yeah. Try to, and it's a bit of dialogue so that we can, we, he talks about his experiences as a, as me, as an overbearing father who wants to make him practice every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Yeah. Well, then you have the Caribbean Dance Collective, right? So that's yeah. that's the five piece, the Calypso yeah. influence. You got the steel drum. That sounds really nice, right? Yeah, that that that's a really good thing. Actually, we're getting ready to do a gig on the twenty third at the Jazz Bistro oh, in Toronto. So, oh, very uh, cool. That should be really cool. Yeah, we want you know we ha- I have different um, aspects of you know my background and my heritage. So you you pull all those things in. I do yeah. a thing called the uh, Eddie Eddie Bullen and Friends Smooth Jazz Cruise as well too, which is, is an annual. Yes, I did thing. see that, but you you don't have one booked right now, though it says right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I just booked a date, which is I think June the nineteenth. So. Oh, very nice. July the nineteenth. Sorry. July. Oh, so so what do you do with that? You have to take a boat cruise out of Toronto. Yeah, in, on the and on the, um, Lake Ontario, we do a cruise. Yeah, and. Um, I, I have all my friends, musicians. Sometimes I bring people in from either the U.S. or the Caribbean, uh, players, nice. and um, and yeah, and you know, we I put on a show. I make sure I feed everybody, yeah. and um, and then you know, it's a sort of concert, sort of a setting on the boat, and nice. um, yeah, and we do you have jerk chicken. <laughs> yeah, man, all <laughs> the time. Well, we do this. We do this and jerk chicken. We oh, do this yeah. gig quite often, and there's a and this lady. She has this guy from Jamaica that she loves, and he always comes and he sets up the barbecue and does his jerk chicken, and it's just really, really good. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those guys always kill it, man. <laughs> no, that's good. Well, I appreciate that. And then so so yeah, you've got a lot of different iterations as far as your live music, and then your son does a Jimi Hendrix thing too, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, he that's does it. a Jimi Hendrix thing. Uh, he does a couple of them. He does a Jimi Hendrix. He does a Sly and a Family Stone as well. Too, oh neat. Oh, that's great! Oh, that that, mm-hmm. that warms my heart. You know, like to have your your musical sensibility, and then you get a smile on your face when you're playing, and then your son's involved, and you you've sort of done it all. And I was going to ask you about the transition. So you're you're a player. We all start out as musicians, and then you, you sort of get into other things, and then you kind of did you make a transition from performer to producer or was that just part of the, cause you do everything now, like music production, audio recording, you got video production, mixing and yeah. mastering voiceover yeah. online. You, you're doing a whole bunch of stuff. So tell me about that and how that all evolved. Yeah. Well, I, I've always wanted to be a producer. I, okay. You know, from the time I was like 15 years old, I was, I wanted to produce. And um, my first producing job, I was 18 years old, somewhere in this, this guy in Grenada gave me money to produce his record and we flew to Barbados because Grenada had no recording studios. So we flew to Barbados and we recorded. Actually, that studio is still up and running today. It's owned by uh, Eddie Grant, who... Yeah, he uh, he remember he had that song Electric Avenue. So of course, we do. That. We still do it in our shows, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so we were, I recorded there, but I um I always wanted to be a producer. I mean, I wanted to play as well too, but I love producing. I love just creating uh, different soundscapes and get, getting stuff. So I I I've always that is the, so they run in tandem. Me performing okay. and me producing ran in tandem. I I um had my when i bought my house actually i had a, a little place that i rented down at the docks where i had a little studio i did a lot of the demos with errol star errol, oh nice uh, francis down at the that's where we worked on his record yeah you know, yeah i had him on the podcast and it was excellent really good yeah so he was the one that recommended and um and then i uh, i bought a house and then i had a studio in a in a little little house that I bought, and then I got married and bought another house, and then yep. I put two studios in the basement. <laughs> so I had clients coming from everywhere, just experience, and um, yeah, and my, and my son now is doing a, some producing as well. So. Okay, well, yeah, the reason I ask is because you know a lot of guys like to play music, and I've I've done some sort of minimal recording, but not everyone gets into it sort of full bore like you have and and you've got uh, the full production i guess it's thunderdome sounds.ca we'll give a little plug right. for that just to, right and and you have lots of different uh, options available for people and and recording and and even some distribution information as well right yes yes i there's a couple of you know i mean it's a small label i have a little label and i am um, sign artists and okay do all the marketing and promotion and put them out there's a 
There's a guy right now, his name is Jeremy Hector, guitar player. Actually, he's from Grenada. I met him in Grenada. And he, he immigrated to Canada, and I have two albums by him. The second one, it's, um, I think he has over 5 million streams on Spotify. Wow. Which is Very nice. Well, it speaks well of you that you branched out into all those things and then did it at a level that's more than just a, sort of a hobby that you were interested. I mean, the, the albums, like the, the stuff that you produced, I listened to a few of them and they said the production's excellent. So it's obviously you've refined it and honed it over the years and, and got a good situation there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you learn from each record and each artist that you produce, you know, you, you, you always learn something new. And I always try to, to create uh, new things. There, there are actually two genres that I was the the inspiration for I, because there was a, actually there was a sort of dance thing that I did called Ed Ian Cartel. It's my I had a, a partner. His name is Ian. Right. Um, so we call it Ed Ian Cartel. Okay. Ed Ian Cartels kind of played on Median Cartel. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> uh, we did a lot of dance stuff like. You know, so, and there was a station here uh, back in the 90s called it, uh, Energy 108. Okay. And we used to, they used to put on shows at the Forum and at Canada's Wonderland. And we would, we would perform um, with those places. And um, so there's a, there's a thing that what we did is mix Calypso and House. So, and it goes like, right? So it's a Calypso beat that we, we, we made House and, if you listen oh. to house music now, that beat is pretty prevalent in wow, house music. Wow, cool. Yeah, I can see it. That's for sure. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a thing that we, again, because I was doing a lot of Calypso back then, I started mixing that Calypso beat. So the snare is a Calypso snare. Like, cool. right? So, yeah. No, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So then what did you get into hip hop or any of the rap stuff at all? Or yeah, or? yeah, I got into hip hop. Um there's a there's a there's a guy by the name of Maestro Fresh West. I did his record. Okay. And he sold over a million copies in uh uh, uh fifty thousand copies in Canada. Nice. Well you there know, you so go. A, got a gold record for that. And yeah, uh, oh, very cool. You know, and you know, there's there's several other artists that again, I'm because my studio was sort of in the late 80s and 90s, you know, everybody came to Thunderdome Sounds. So yeah. I was able to, you know, you produce a lot of different things, a lot of reggae as well, too. I worked with yeah. a lot of those guys, Leroy oh, Sibbles. Yeah, I guess. And then, and then again, the, the, the landscape, but the one thing about music, it's always a shifting landscape, right? You got to kind of yeah. look out in the ether there and see what's going on. And then, you know, like you said, create your own to a certain measure. And, and then, so that, that leads into the, the mentoring and the teaching part of it too. That's part That's of a big part of what you do, right? Through the production yeah. company. So you've, you're nurturing young talent and stuff. You've got the high school program. You're involved in that. Yes. Yes. Um, well, the, tell me so about that. It's, it's a co-op program. So when uh, children get to um, a certain age in high school, I guess, you know, uh, grade grade uh, 12, teachers come and they, they I do a mentorship with them. So they want to get into the music industry some in some aspect. You know, sometimes people want, they want to be engineers, they want to be producers, they want to be, uh, just have a knowledge about how the industry works. So and and you know some of them have gone on to do that you know there was a there was a young man I met him down on Queen Street and he was yelling my name out ran up to me and he goes yo Eddie Eddie so thank you thank you so much I blew up I blew up I'm you know he was a big yeah. DJ and and yeah. one of it, one of the things is because he was at my studio and sort of and mentored him a bit so. nice yeah and then of course you a lot of the DJs now have to have uh, the ability to to cut tracks and and do their own um, backtracks and and beats and stuff too, right? So it's a lot more complicated than it used to be just spinning records. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, there's another. There's so many of them that you know. One is um, he became an actor. He was in you know Miss Saigon. He was in The Lion King. He's on. Oh, wow. He's in Stratford. I mean, he's traveled over. He's just did a, a movie on NBC or television. Yeah. So. Nice. They've all and they've all branched off in different aspects of the industry. You know, yeah. I have another guy who's not the head of some technical thing at Bell, and and he yeah. was at, he was amazing at with computers. So he'll come in and you know yeah. just 
be, you know, but he loved music and he wants to. Oh, very cool. So yeah. a, a general question then, uh, how's AI going to affect the music business and the recording <laughs> industry moving forward? I think it's going to, it's definitely going to affect it. Um, and I'm not quite sure if it's going to be positive or negative. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Both, yeah. You know, I think um, with more, with all new technology, you have to embrace it and just figure out how it can enhance what you do. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, one of the, I I can't complain because because of digital, I am able to run a studio. Before, you know, you'd have to have a a, a console that is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and yes. a, a tape machine that another two hundred to three hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now, you know, as a young producer, I can't afford that. But they came up with all the digital machine, the Tascam and the Elisis digital machines. You could buy one for five thousand dollars. Yeah, you buy three of them, you lock them up. I have twenty-four tracks. Yeah, fair so, point. Yeah, right. So with technology, there's always a upside and a downside. And for the big studios, they lost out on business. So I'm not now going to the big studios to record. Right. You know, I I could just do all my recordings at home. You know, every every you know every ten or fifteen years, the whole industry will change, and you have to adapt to sort of stay alive. I, I guess, yeah. So, to, just to drill down on that a little bit deeper, though, I mean, you're right. Like in the in the back in the day, you'd have to have a million dollar studio to make a million dollar album, basically. And nowadays, yes. you don't. But um, but AI, you know, one person said it's like going from the horse and buggy to a supersonic jet. Like it will exactly. really really exactly. change everything. Like like you can you can have people who can't really sing. It, it can write songs. It can write lyrics. You could have yeah. a completely AI generated album that that a human being didn't even do yeah with yeah. all the mixed parameters of a steely dan album and and there you go yeah you i mean this that? this is yeah this is definitely definitely a situation where it we have we i mean this is this is warp speed right now yeah. we're in and um the thing is some of my clients are older clients so a lot of that stuff goes over their head um and they, they still depend on you know an engineer to help them but when you get into a a younger audience, yes, definitely. And I'm not quite sure how the music industry is going to survive with something like right. that. Yeah, I think that that's I guess is my overriding point because I'm you know I'm old school. I just did an album with Mike Fraser out here in the West Coast, and we did it. I just said I'm, at my age, I'm just going to ride it out old school. But if I was 20 years old, 25 years old, I mean, part of what you did is a function of your time that you're in. Exactly. Right? And, and so now it's a different world. And if you got people who have no musical talent at all and don't even need any to produce a pretty decent album and, and the, the consumer is not going to care, if they hear a right. song they like, they're going to go, oh, I like that song. And you go, well, it was made by AI. There's not even a human singing on that song. Exactly. Well, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I think really it's going to go back to live performances primarily. Yeah. And I mean, and that's one of the things that I'm doing as well too, just because you can't fake it. Yeah, you either could do it or can't. And, and yeah, you could get you know AI to help you, but it's I think it's going to be frowned upon, you know, unless you do it in some unique way, you know, that yeah. at least you're talented with something. You're not letting AI just. Well, let's hope. I mean, that's the whole human expression of music that makes the world a better place. Is is yeah. human beings expressing music to the hearts of other human beings, right? Yeah. Yeah, if we lose that, then we we lose the whole heart of what music is. Yeah, and I think that's still that way because you know a lot of I I get stuff sent to me all the time of you know some young kid who's playing an amazing piece on the piano or amazing piece on a guitar or you know I I see a lot of young girls playing bass like Jaco Pastorius man yeah. so you know so I think. That still resonates with everyone, that human yes. ability, the human element of of somebody uh, performing and it resonating with you. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think too. And I, that's what I hope the future holds as well. But just, you know, you never know. And, and then I, I often ask the question to my guests, you know, could there ever be another Beatles, you know, another band that comes out and just breaks this fresh new ground and has these beautiful melodies and records and sort of takes over the world. Could that be something possible nowadays? Or is that what, was that a function of its time? I think that was a function of its time. I, 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 
I mean, I think AI, like somebody has to do something with AI. I mean, it maybe can work, but, yeah. you know, it's just, like I said, it has to be live. Yeah. Like, it, it actually is driving everybody back to being live. Yes, we could. And what happens as well, too, with with all the streaming sites, no one is really paying attention to an album or an artist anymore. It's just like you know, most times you go into a store, it's just playing on your on in the you know department or in the air, and you really don't know who it is. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of shazam to figure out who it is. So, in terms of our, our audience awareness of who the artist is, I'm finding that is not there anymore. Right. And, okay. You know, people don't listen to whole albums like you know we hug an album yes. and we listen to it and we ring that album that's yeah. not it's just singles now and in the recording industry that's what the record companies are doing now they're saying you know you have to put out six singles before you put out the album because right. okay after three weeks nobody wants to hear that, that song yeah i mean that's part of the rub too like your your previous point about technology it, it cuts both ways right yeah. So, you know, nowadays it's just a complete shotgun blast. It's like the Wild West. There's so many songs and so many versions of different varieties of songs that it's it's almost, it's overwhelming in, in a way. Right. So cutting through that is is more of a challenge. Yeah, there's, there's no gatekeepers now like there used to be. You don't have to have a million dollar studio. But by the same token, on the other side of it, there's so much out there that how do yeah. you cut through that? Yeah, and, and everybody can distribute their stuff yeah. worldwide, you know what I mean? But it, you click, you know, you click submit and your your song is there you go, yeah. everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, you know what I mean? But there's no promotion behind it. Nobody knows. But again, go. that's that's the reality and that's one thing I've always, I've been able to make a living for the last 40 years in the music business and I just tell people, I just adjust to what it is. Yeah. It, it is what it is. So you just yeah. either adjust to it or go and, you know, deliver mail for a living. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. But, yeah, so then you've got lots of awards. I mean, you've got a long list of awards you've done here, but I, I take it from you that that's all based out of your love of music and music production. Yes, that's correct. So the, the awards um, are nice, you know, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to be recognized for all the different awards that I've, I've received. And, and, you know, people appreciate these, the letters, the thank you letters that I get. I have a, I have a draw yeah. full. Nice. Thank you. And that, those are, those are really heartwarming for me because, you know, people really love it. And sometimes I have to be mindful of, for example, if I do a mix for somebody, I have to be mindful of when I send it to them. If I send, if I finish the mix at like 10 PM, I don't send it to them because they won't go to bed. They'll be listening to this thing okay. until two o'clock in the morning. So I send it to them in the morning. Yes. You know, so at least they could, you know, before they go to work, they could take a couple of listens and then when they come yeah. home, you know, six, seven o'clock, they could get into it. Yeah. So very you nice. know, many, many times a client will tell me, say, Listen, man, you kept me up all night because they keep <laughs> playing the track over. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. And by that, by that time you're so inside the track, your objectivity is kind of lost at that point too, because you're at, listening to analyze it rather than just enjoying it. Right. Which yeah, is what you should yeah. do. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah. So you toured a lot back in the day, I guess, or did yeah, lots back of live shows? Yeah. Back in the day I toured a lot. And then I stopped because I, you know, I had uh, children where, you know, you have, once you have offsprings, you have to stay around and I stayed around and that's where really where the studio came in really handy because yeah. I, I, I don't have to go anywhere. Everybody was coming to me to yeah. record. So that really worked. And uh, my wife at the time really loved that because I was home. Yeah. Fair and I could take care of the kids. And, and then, and unfortunately my wife passed away in okay, 2014. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And so that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. And then I started, um, I, I, I always did little tours, but I started touring a lot more with my sons. Okay. Um, so we, we, you know, we did a small tour in the U.S. We did China. We toured our 26 cities in China. Wow. <laughs> and um, we toured across Canada as well, too. Yeah. With, um, you know, with, with my with dueling pianos. Nice. So, um so yeah, I started, but then I started touring under my name, you know, not 
not touring with somebody. It's Eddie Bullen or it's Eddie Bullen and Quincy Bullen. Yeah. So we, yeah, it it Good. it really works. And then I mean, still have a couple of things coming up where we we do a couple of dates here and there. Yeah. So it's not you're not on any any big uh, live music schedule now. It's it's trimmed no. down again. Yeah. yeah. We just um, putting a show together where we're gonna canvas um, some theaters, okay, and do do something. I, I I just got recently got married again. Okay, and my wife is also a performer. Nice. She's she's into the corporate world now, but she was a performer before. So yeah, very nice. And do you do clinics at all? Like you said, you do the mentoring program. I mean, do you do yeah. any music clinics? Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do some clinics as well. Um, we're just getting ready to set off uh, another um, project. It's, it's called um, the the, um, the Bullens um, Learning Network, nice. where we um, what we plan to do is to do some workshops, you know, based on the knowledge that we have about the music industry. Yeah, both the sons like more my. Youngest son is a lighting technician, so he works, uh, you know, on movies and yeah. he manages three um, production homes, houses, out, oh, wow. where they do a lot of lot of commercials and a lot nice. of um, documentaries and stuff like that. Nice. And um, and Quincy, like he's a multi instrumentalist. So, and my wife, um, she deals. She builds websites and deals with a lot of uh, marketing, um, media marketing. That's what, and she teaches yeah. that as well too. So Super cool. what we want to do is to build a, we've actually built the site already and we have to just you now beta test it. Okay. Doing Very cool. Workshops. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. Well, the reason I asked that is because, you know, I've gone to seminars and, and clinics and stuff, and that that's where I've learned a ton of stuff. Like, like you know, the ongoing lessons is nice and everything, but some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned are just certain things that people say in a certain way at a clinic or some kind of um, giving you a piece of advice, and then you take that and it really makes a difference. So sometimes the one-off sort of clinic where you're doing a question and answer, you do a presentation question and answer can be really super valuable to people. Yeah, I mean, and that that is I, that used to be a, a big thing for me as well too. And I find myself doing that now, as you know, because you have all this experience. So a lot of the younger people don't know what was there before. You know, we'd play the blue note, and then after the blue note, we'll go over to Myers, and it's an after hours jazz club, and we play from one until three. So yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I start I start playing at nine, finish at one. Or like twelve thirty, grab my gear, go over to you know another jazz club, sign up, Jeez. and we play again. You wow. know, so but yeah. you know those those things don't don't happen anymore. Yeah, those days so, are probably both, mostly yeah. over. I think. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's always a, it, it's I, I I find myself doing that a lot these days. Doing, and I've I've always um there are a couple of young people who have invited me to speak at some of their workshops and nice. just you know things like that and yeah. you know i get asked a lot of questions sometimes about you know te piano technique and how i approach things and also about the business and just experiences yeah very nice and so so what was the business stuff like for you did you ever get mistreated or taken advantage of or oh yeah, did, yeah. <laughs> you know you work and people don't don't pay you yeah oh. you know and or you know or sometimes you work on a project and that the clients never satisfied. They, mm. they want to change this or they want to change that. But what happens is, and for me, is that once I started doing my own thing, then a lot of the clients you know, stop questioning my advice. You know, mm. sometimes a client will say, well, I think we should do this and I think we should do that. But but they look at me and I, I like, I'll just, you know, I have stuff that's on billboard and, playing on Spotify, like, you know, millions of views. Yeah. And it's, they're saying, well, you know what? I better not say anything because, like, I have a track record. Yes, so there you go. You can't argue of, with success, right? <laughs> no, so a lot of times <laughs> I'm able to veto a lot of those things. And I just say, listen, I'm, you know, I'll just give you my opinion on something. Or if you want my, do you want my advice? Yes. Well, yeah, I just, I've talked to so many people on the podcast who, who had bad record deals or the manager absconds with the money or, you know, these kinds of things. And it's, it's more common than it should be because it's a really yeah. exploitative business at times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, 
you, you know, you don't see the money first. Somebody gets the money and then, you know, they pay you, but you're doing all the work. Yeah. And, and you know, and it has happened so much in the business. I mean, with my record company, I, the deal that I make with m most of my um, people that I sign is like, listen, once I recoup, then it's a 50-50 deal. Right. Do you know exactly how much money I'm making because it's... 50-50. But the other thing is is that you're a musician and a, and a performer too, which is kind of a different world. The old suits were just straight yeah. businessmen and, and you're just a meat puppet to them, exactly. to a lot of them, right? So, exactly. You know, you're exactly. my guy. You go out there and make me some money and they're, yeah. they're not musicians. But you and I, you know, I'm a musician. I care about my musician friends. I want to make sure they're treated fairly. I don't do exactly. any business deal where everybody doesn't get treated fairly. That just doesn't. Yeah, you know. exactly, Dan. Because, so. I mean, I, and it's so hard to find that these days. Yeah. You know, it's very hard. I mean, if, if people are like that, you know, you, you get more more artists being successful and not being in the poorhouse. Yeah, and bitter and jaded because of the music. I've had, yeah. I've had. Two people, I won't mention their names, but they don't want to come on the podcast because they say, I don't have anything positive to say. I was completely mistreated. Everything I say was going to sound bitter. Wow. I'm like, well, that's really too bad. But they, you know, you're reaching for that carrot and you just about have it and someone snatches it away and then you get to tossed in the trash like yesterday's news. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's not a nice thing when no. that happens. No. You know, I, I must say that I, I just try to treat people fairly you know in my in my studio you know what exactly what the cost is going to be before you do it right yeah you know i've set it up in such a way that everybody knows and that's one of the reasons that i i'm still in the business because yeah. people know exactly what they're going to get and they they know i'll deliver it not yeah. a problem it's going Fair to be enough. on time yeah you know i'm going to deliver it you well know, i found I, you know as i've gotten older i i just i tell people now just treat me like a friend just treat me like yeah. a friend to tell me what I need to do. I'll pay and I'll treat you like a friend. What would a friend do? A friend would pay me when it's kind to pay me. I, you know, I had my, I got my bill for my album and stuff and I just paid it right away. I don't care. I just treat yeah. people like friends. And that's really all I care about at this point in my life. Cause yeah, you know, I don't want to take advantage of anyone else and I don't want anyone to take advantage of me. So just let's be all be friends and we're good. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. seems to work for me. So yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah. Agreed. So what else you got going on right now? You got, uh, what, what's your, what's your projects on the docket right now? Uh, um, I have, actually, I just finished an album with a gentleman by the name of David Deacon nice. and it's a blues record, but it's a spoken, spoken word blues record. Oh, um, he's like Leonard Cohen. So he's kind of singing and, and, but it's, yeah. you know, the lyrics are really moving and he's a poet. Cool. Um, so yeah, that his name is David Deacon. Yeah. I've I've just done another album, which is a blues record with an, another gentleman by the name of Jay Douglas. That record is doing really well. It's called Confession. Um, Jeremy's record was released uh, in 2020, and that record is still doing well. Jeremy Sean Hector, yeah. he has um, beautiful. He's kind of like a meets George Benson meets Pat Metheny. That's the mm. kind of sound that he has beautiful guitar player yeah and that record is doing really well um, does he play on a cat gut or like a nylon string guitar or is he like, uh he played both um, on the record okay. he, he has not yes he has one he's more of an electric okay. kind of les paul sound yeah um but he plays beautiful nylon nylon Great. strings too so Great. we have one cut on that record that is um really really cool and I, ha I have a reggae project with a guy called Polly Pompey that, um, it, like I, I, that, that I just released, uh, it should be coming out this Friday. Oh, cool. Um, you know, reggae is what we call conscious reggae. Yeah. And, and great singer, beautiful voice. <laughs> nice. He's like, if you could think of, um, Nat King Cole, singing reggae that's the kind yeah. of voice that he has well, it's so um, funny you should mention that because i I've, i was asked one time who my three favorite singers were and the first one was nat king cole because he he had that smoky voice but his control and his tone was just beautiful and yeah. perfect i just shockingly good yeah i have another record nice. that i did uh that uh, came out uh august with a, a singer from barbados keisha christian 
Hmm. And that's a sort of R&B record, beautiful record. She just did a small tour of Canada. That was really nice. And where can people access all these? Is that at Thunderdome Sounds? Is that yeah, all yeah, linked up there? Okay, well, very cool. I mean, they, all the artists have their own uh, websites as well. Yes. Actually, I was just getting ready to work. I don't know if you know Larnell Lewis. You know who Larnell Lewis is? I don't. Larnell is, do you know the band Snarky Puppy? I've heard that. Yes. I'm on the West coast though. So I don't, uh, but right. yes, well, I yeah, have heard that, of Snarky Puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they won, they had, they won two Grammy awards. Um, they, they started doing a thing where you play and everybody's wearing headphones Yeah, in sort of a church. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Larnell, everything Larnell's played on is like 30 something million views and stuff like wow. that. He's, he's considered to be the world, the top drummer in the world right now. Wow. So, um, check him out. I just, I did his, his last record and I was just kind of work, um, did a little bit of work on his new record. Nice. So he's a great, great drummer. Um, he's sort of, you know, when you, all of the young drummers want to be Lorna Lewis today. Well, I I should have heard of him before now, but I will check it out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, That that sounds super cool. Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. This is super interesting, and it sounds like you got your uh, your fingers in a lot of pies as they speak, and it, it sounds like you're really happy. It sounds like you're happy doing what you're doing. I am. I am. I am. I love music. has been, you know, my savior, and I'm never forsaken it. <laughs> yeah. No, good for you. No, that's great. What a great story, and uh, I'm sure my guests will enjoy hearing what you had to share and uh, and wishing you all the best in the future. Thank you, man. I, so, I appreciate the. I appreciate the. Many thanks to my guest, Eddie Bullen, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his many musical adventures and accomplishments. More information is available at eddiebullen.com and also thunderdomesounds.ca. So Eddie Bullen is B-U-L-L-E-N, eddiebullen.com and thunderdomesounds.ca. Check it out. There's lots of great stuff there. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. We invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Hare.